0: We're back with the communique on Lunk Radio. This is communique number 10, January 31st, 2009. I got the year right this time. That's always a plus side. Today we're here to talk to you about normality, which is kind of a strange and vague topic. My name is Jackson Meredith, and I am joined today by
1: Monty, Andrew, and Mal.
0: Now, Mal, you want to start us off with a quote?
1: Yes.
2: Culprits such as Nazism, fascism, the American genocide of Native nations, ethnic cleansing, and the Chinese genocide of Tibet have all been identified and dethroned, but no one has ever bothered to question the concept that spawned such movements. Normal. Which kind of makes it seem villainized in this context.
3: But obviously we can expand upon that and sort of address the concept of normality. Normality is basically the tendency... To evaluate people on what are called social norms standards
0: of conduct that are widely held so mal opened us up with this quote giving normality partial responsibility for the grossest totalitarianism of the 20th century and Andrew followed it up with a very academic sort of response how do we reconcile these two things I mean what are we trying to say here about normality Well, I think the issue here is when you take
3: normality in a social context and you actually expect people to conform to these standards, it creates a sort of regimented way of living that you would expect more from a totalitarian society. So really the extent that we implement forcing people into this sort of molds the kind of society we live in.
0: What kind of things are we being molded into doing?
2: Mostly it's sort of trivial things like fashion and having a particular meal schedule and things of that nature that people don't really think about. But then sometimes it develops into more malignant things like racism or various sorts of us-versus-them mentalities when them happens to be primarily defined by some... Attribute that y- you don't have in common with them That might even be incidental to why you're villainizing them And
3: essentially, you get a sort of uh, culture clash In in different senses of normality When people see normal in different ways
1: And who is behind
2: this? Mm. Uh, I would say generally speaking It's just sort of a human tendency That when in large groups just arises on its own if you're not keeping an eye out for it. I do think an important distinction is,
3: though, that a group of people can decide how official or how strictly they want to hold to a code of conduct, a sort of way of looking at normality and how much it should be enforced, which is the difference of just sort of having a personal distaste for someone's traits that aren't within your code or you know, killing them finding it grossly wrong or forming laws against people being different.
0: When I think about institutions that, that mold normality, I, I think of schools, churches, government branches. To be more specific, I mean like the, the mental health industry. I mean, what what is the role of these more formal, powerful groups in creating normality? And what is the significance of that?
2: Well, I think in terms of elected officials, it tends to arise in that case just because elected officials frequently are just basically trying to appeal to the largest segment of their constituency, which leads them to focus primarily on whichever traits are held by the biggest segments of society. And really
3: that kind of takes us into a, a concept of addressing identity and normality. Now, a politician is going to appeal to these norms, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's who they are. There's really a difference in in how someone presents themselves as an identity and how they actually think. Okay, there's a, there's you're starting a psychological to, break there. You're starting to lose me here. You've got to give me an example. The most obvious example is, say, um...
1: On the spot.
2: I had sort of a... might not be a very good example for what you're talking about, but an example came to mind earlier of, say, in the military, everyone has one of three haircuts, basically. Basically, to reinforce the impression of uniformity and being part of a collective, they have everyone... Even in trivial things like hairstyles, everyone is basically the same. And, of course, there's the
0: expectation that your your clothing, your uniform, is virtually 99.9% identical to every other person who holds your rank. Yes. and then I mean, aside from a different name patch is basically the only difference.
2: And when you're wearing the uniform, you're not even a representation of yourself so much as a representation of a member of the group. Is that true for society at
0: large, not just in an extremely obvious example like the military?
2: It can be. I know in like in some cliques, for example in high schools, they'll all dress in more or less the same way. Similar enough that the members of the group can be identified even if they aren't wearing an official uniform. What about the uniforms
0: we wear to work? I, I have to wear the same polo shirt to the dishroom that every other full-time worker in my cafeteria wears. Is there not an idea there that I'm supposed to be... We, and we're all supposed to wear you know, the same kinds of slacks, and we're supposed to wear the same hairnet or the same university dining services ball cap. We don't get to wear any hat we want. It has to be the university dining
2: services ball cap. I know in some cases it does provide a useful sense of camaraderie or teamwork to, or things of that nature. Go ahead. Yeah, but
1: in in terms of something like what Jackson just described, I would have to ask, it's, or or it's an attempt to create camaraderie, but to what purpose is this yeah. happening? I, is I, with something like the military or with like this work that? The idea, I think, is is to create this sort of idea of being a part of a well-oiled machine and to, to maybe make those involved and the, the perception by the outside world that these are professionals. They all fall in line and they wear the same clothes and they...
0: The question I have, and I think that's an interesting description, the question I have, though... If this kind of uniformity potentially boosts morale, boosts work efficiency, isn't that a good thing?
2: If it works right, yes. It de-
1: it depends because it, it depends it, on who is being who is benefiting from all of well, this. Yes,
2: it, it's good in the sense that it achieves its goals effectively in that in those situations. Though a lot of times it's applied frivolously, and there's not really a need for it other than that is the standard, in which case the person implementing the policies might be doing that in sort of an attempt to make their organization uniform with the other organizations without actually considering whether or not their organization needs those benefits that the other organizations engage in the behaviors for.
1: We've described, like, a work situation and the military does something like this apply to out of that environment, like in, in a, just a regular social uh, human interaction which just everyday life, r- well, regardless of uh, occupation?
2: If it, when it gets to everyday life, then you kind of hit the issue of, for example, in the military, when they're acting in the sense of being a member of the military they are making a point of conforming to that, even when they might not typically do so. But when there isn't a situation like that, so when you get into normal interactions with people, the sorts of differences that everyone has by default tend to show up, rather than be kind of brushed under the carpet for the sake of a well-oiled machine sort of situation. Because everyone has some things that are quote-unquote abnormal. To the extent which even having abnormal traits could be considered normal statistically, but people generally don't think about it that way. They see people who they can basically associate with on the face of things because they behave in the same way. People who like football sort of have that connection with other people who like football. So they kind of naturally form sort of an in-group impression. They
3: sort of insulate themselves with people that they
2: associate with having the
3: same
0: traits or interests. And I can say here, as a football fan, that we really annoy the hell out of people who aren't. And I can say
3: that I agree with that. (laughs) Now, I think a point that we sort of bring up here is is evaluating people based on what you consider normal and labeling them or sort of attributing an identity to them as either conforming and being normal or not conforming by what would be your personal standards and considering them abnormal. There are various consequences that go with that. One of the large consequences is simply excluding people from
0: what you do or groups you're in in society. What the hell is normality, though? I mean, is there an objective normality? The only objective
2: sense is an average. Statistically or mathematically speaking, even then, it's really sort of a fuzzy category. Depending on what trait you're looking at, people will have different thresholds for what's considered normal or not than even other different traits that might even have the same general level of distribution in society.
3: And another issue when we're talking about identity is that in a society that praises normality as a form of conforming to standards, a lot of people aren't going to want to be seen as abnormal. So it reinforces a sense of normality within a society, that what's shown is a view of what is normal, a sort of perception.
0: This is kind of tying back into what Patrick was saying a little bit ago. He was talking about how the kind of conformity within the military makes sense and is acceptable philosophically to a point because of the issue of consent, that they agree to conform to that degree, to be interchangeable in that way. And what we're sort of talking about here, I think, is the coercion involved in a society that demands a particular standard of normality that some, if not most, of its citizens can never adhere to,
2: at least in full. I was going to make the point that, generally speaking, sort of the associating and approving of things that you have in common with other people, which, statistically speaking, will lead to ideas of normality just because most people would associate with the majority on the, because they're part of the majority. To a certain degree, that's harmless or even useful, but then when it starts being forcibly applied to other people based on standards that aren't necessarily universally agreed upon, people consider it normal to be male, which is about 48% of the population. They wouldn't consider that abnormal But people would consider it strange to say that members of a particular political party are defined as normal and representative. So, even if it's about half and half in two cases, some cases, one is considered normal by either segment of society. And in the other case, a lot of Republicans view Democrats as abnormal and vice versa. Despite the fact that they both make up about the same amount of the population.
3: So that goes back to the sort of culture clash I was talking about of
2: polarizing groups. Really, when it becomes a problem, is when it starts heightening a sort of us versus them or you have to be one of us kind of situation where you're forcing either assimilation or depriving outgroup members of rights or something of that nature.
3: Now, I was going to go back into the issue of consent, because we were talking about the military, and people consent to go into the military, but obviously we don't even need to get into the reasons that people join the military. There's a lot of motivations there. That's another show entirely. But when when you join the military, there's the sense of normality that's enforced, and that's kind of something I'd like to go into, is the authority that enforces that. But what came to my mind is the don't ask, don't tell policy, which basically... is intentionally excluding certain aspects of people's lives, is intentionally
0: only representing what people might consider to be normal. Well, we'll back up just for a second here. Some of our listeners may not be aware of the U.S. military's don't ask, don't tell policy, which basically says it's okay to serve in the military if you're gay as long as we don't see or hear anything about it. In short, would you not agree with me when I would describe that don't ask, don't tell policy as a way of enforcing the normality or alleged normality of heterosexuality in the U.S. military?
2: I'd actually say it's more of enforcing the perception of it because the gay service members are still there. They just are required to seem like they aren't. So everyone concludes that it's all straight people but it really isn't. To me, I see it as sort of a
3: a way of censoring people, because obviously the heterosexual concept of normality in the military is going to be given leeway to express itself. So by by excluding someone's voice, you sort of marginalize their existence.
0: So I, I wanted to continue along the line of what Mal was saying a moment ago. What were you saying? God damn. <laughs>
1: We're organized. We're very organized. But was
2: it on the point of question. how it gives sort of a superficial impression of uniformity? Right, which the superficial actually doesn't exist.
0: I, I would say that the the idea of of this kind of norm, the sort of conformity of normality, a lot of times it's just more about they're more concerned about appearances than the actual behavior. Is
1: well,
0: it's kind of it's it's okay to be different. As long as I can't tell that you're different.
1: My job-related counselors are always constantly telling me about, like, when you, when you go to apply for your job and when you go to work, you know, you have to... Like, I've never even come across a case where it, where it was, like, a requirement in the actual job that I had to do it, but but they kept stressing, you should wear khakis and you should wear polo shirts and you should you know you should shave and
3: we want to see your 13 pieces of flair.
1: Yeah, not even as a part of the job. Like this is somebody helping me get work. So right. conformity before the actual job enforces it. It's weird and there's this idea that you can be yourself as long as what you are presenting about yourself is fits within the perception of normality.
2: That kind of brings it to A situation that frequently comes up in terms of hiring situations where, for example, a lot of people will judge general traits of someone based on perceived traits that don't necessarily have any association with, but because of their culture, they've come to associate the two. For example, highly technical or theoretical science-based jobs frequently the person hiring will actually have a tendency towards hiring someone who stereotypically seems like a nerd with a pocket protector and everything because they've come to subconsciously associate those two personality traits. So basically they sort of have these
3: character archetypes of what people would be for a particular area. Now I I sort of think that we all sort of experience this. As a person with long hair, a lot of people assume that I might be involved in the drug culture and are even surprised when I'm not. There are a lot of connections people draw that really have nothing, or appearance or certain traits that have nothing to do with a logical conclusion, but they simply draw these lines in their mind.
1: I've completely spaced out on the 70s guy who was a serial killer. Hugely popular. What was his name? Zodiac? No, no, oh. he, no, he was, he, he... He was a banker? Is that what I he was? I, I, I forget what he was. He was a businessman of I'll just sort. continue was listing off mass Bundy! Ted Bundy? Uh, yeah, I always want, I always want to go into, like, a job interview and go, in, and, like, in my, in my khakis and polo shirt and go, hey, you ever hear of Ted Bundy? You know, he, he was a great dresser, and he had a great smile, and, you know, you would love him.
3: We were actually discussing that before, how normal serial killers appear to be.
0: Yeah, it seems like whenever they catch a serial killer, you always have the required interview on the local news, the journalist on the street talking to the man's neighbors. I say man because 90% of serial killers are men. You know, the man's neighbors, and they sit there and go, well, I always thought he was such a normal guy. I mean, he seemed like a really nice, normal guy. I mean, he, he mowed his lawn and played with his children and... I guess I never paid any second mind to that strange chainsaw
2: sound I heard coming from his basement. And what you said about the uh, job interview thing reminds me of the old joke about how there's one good thing you could say about the Nazis, and they had really good is that they had really good fashion sense.
1: There's this weird subculture that is like has a fetish for like Nazi gear. It's weird. Or uniform like things the, the, of that nature. Yeah, the aesthetic of like the uniforms and stuff. Like they always. I mean, you can find them all over the internet. They go on about. They go on about how they're not a Nazi, but boy, they dress great.
0: Well, I think it was documented that the Nazis actually had a professional fashion designer designing their uniforms, and they were pretty snappy, I have to say. Well, I do think kind of to tie
3: this back in uh, that sort of totalitarian society has a huge standard for pretenses, for show, for a normalized sort of
2: identity to project. Just That's to continually important. reinforce in people's minds that everyone is similar to them by making a show of how everyone
3: is uniform. And it's very important in those societies to maintain an us-and-them mentality to justify uh, your, your force, your
2: might-makes-right philosophy, Of course, there's the flaw there of inherently everyone isn't entirely uniform, which eventually, if you apply enough pressure, people will snap and be outwardly deviant, so to speak. And then they have to deal with that issue, which generally they'll propagandize it by demonizing the individuals. The more pressure they apply, the more that will occur to just normal people... And the larger number of people in the population actually knew the person prior to them snapping. Uh,
0: Back up for a second there, Mal. Define deviance for us, because I think that's a very important term in the context of this conversation.
2: Strictly speaking, it would just mean not in keeping with the norm. As we observed earlier, it is kind of a fuzzy distinction, because... It's not considered deviant to be a member of certain minorities when sometimes even larger minorities will be considered deviant by the same society.
1: Well, here's the thing. It seems to me like there are some deviant behaviors that are not really deviant. I'm going to go out and party all night and drink and... Do drugs and that that, that seems to be
0: that's considered a normal coping mechanism yeah. for life. I mean, and it's decision.
1: considered it's considered deviant yeah, and while it generally is, not good.
2: It's but sort it's, of a designated yeah. exception.
0: I would I would say that the example of going out drinking and partying all night, it's kind of in a gray area as far as deviance goes because. Well, it depends on which authorities of conformity you're talking to. The clergyman is going to consider that deviant because that clashes with Judeo-Christian concepts of sin. But uh, in a, in the more secular cultural context, the more secular traditions in this country, it's considered rebellion. Well, that's considered it's considered normal to an extent. It's just a considered. It's considered well, a it's normal. Considered a nor- un- it's
1: considered a normal form of rebelling against the perceived or real oppressiveness. Now, I, I don't now-
0: even want to call it rebellion. I just want to call it. It's just a way of letting off well, steam. It's, it's, of it, 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 it's a way of
2: It's a release <throat> mechanism.
0: It's considered a, a valid it's considered, release considered. Yeah, I, think
1: I, I misspoke. I, I don't think it's, it's considered like literally rebellion. It's, it's more like th- this is the acceptable way of dealing with the world it, and it, how it, it is.
2: It, it's not in keeping with the overarching ideal of how you should behave, but it's an acceptable alternative in moderation.
3: And this speaks to how deviance from the acceptable concept of normality is really subjective, depending on who you're talking to, even within a particular culture. It doesn't have to be sort of a culture clash where one thing is completely deviant in one society and not in the other. Even within a group, there are different different authorities, like you said, that Definitely. consider something deviant or not deviant. Now, if
1: you need to go out and join a movement that has extremely radical and revolutionary aspirations about completely changing the whole entire way that society operates, then it starts like, that's not even something that you should even consider. Yeah,
2: that definitely automatically is considered deviant in most social regards, because you're calling for a change in what's considered normal.
0: In a sense, that's That fits into a black-and-white portrait of deviance because all of the authorities in conformity are in agreement on it, whereas the earlier partying example is a gray area because some are calling it black and some are calling it white, and when you kind of average that, it starts to turn gray.
2: And then there's things like Mardi Gras, which culturally are treated as basically a giant release valve where... Behaviors that are even considered well, deviant are permitted within this context because it helps everyone fit in. The rest of the
1: time, yeah, but the, well, here's kind of what I what I was talking about earlier. You you see like these new stories that are that like whenever like like spring break or Mardi Gras sort of comes around, you, you see all these new stories. They are catering to a specific audience, which is which is I would assume like mostly like middle middle aged. People at home scared of what their kids are doing when they're away, and right. so, you so, they're, see, they're you um, so you sort of see. There's certainly you sort of see these. Hyped. Yeah, you sort of see these things in the media that that actually do sort of present uh, such behavior as deviant, genuinely deviant, and something you should be scared of. The end.
0: I, I want to back up here again. I don't think we really actually ever defined deviance. I don't. I think we've sort of been just describing it all this time. I haven't done a lot of study on this because. I just pose this as a question. Is it an acceptable working definition of deviance to define deviance as an active resistance to a code of conformity or normalcy?
2: I would say just deviance itself would just denote not being the same as the norm. It's not necessarily an active action because there's a lot of people who would define a particular segment of society as deviant- even though they didn't do anything particularly different, just because, say, they have a different ethnic background or something.
3: Now, I think there's a distinction here to be made, and I do think that basically deviance is not conforming, is sort of being non conformist. It does have the
2: negative uh, sense to the term, so it's not the best word to be using, but we kind of lack. A lot of positive terms for being different.
3: It's basically deviation. You know, you you deviate from something. You're you're not in line with it. I mean, it's it doesn't necessarily mean you're you're being anti-conformist or you're you're going against something intentionally. In that sense, you're just not going with it.
2: And then, in the statistics sense, devi- deviation would just be a measure of how far from the precise mathematical average of the spread of variation this particular instance is.
0: Well, we're at the halfway point of the show. We are talking about normality, the idea of normality. Can normality be a good thing? Or is it only a bad thing? We're sort of coming down on it pretty hard
2: here. Uh, It does have its purposes. People who understand each other will tend to be able to get along with each other better in the right circumstances it does help people see themselves as part of the human race for example rather than just feeling completely isolated and not caring about other people
0: so is it important for the sake of conformity for instance that we all drive on the same side of the street I mean, that's, yeah, just, a there, per- that's are, just a personal safety issue, yeah, isn't there it? there
2: are safety implications in some behaviors where, or, for example, in science, there's some measurements that are essentially arbitrary. What matters is that everyone's using the same unit.
3: Well, you can say, ultimately, that many measurements are arbitrary. They're defined on smaller measurements down to a very small level. I mean, the only real concrete measurements are formed on... ...on measurements of matter itself.
1: Does this mean that running with scissors is deviant behavior?
3: From a standard of safety, I would say. In in certain interpretations, I was
1: joking, but okay. Yes. Walking Um, against the sign, streetlight.
2: Part of why we've been kind of coming down on the idea of normal and conforming... ...is because we've framed that in sort of a sense of them viewing... ...the other people as wrong somehow... Which isn't actually necessarily the case. Because, for example, heroes or celebrities, in a certain sense, are not conforming to social standards. Most people wouldn't run back into a burning building to save their dog or something like that. Sometimes it's deviant in something that's considered a virtue and they're... Not normal in the sense that they exceed what is typical.
3: Now, totalitarian societies, to go back to that, do have, and I say we have that in our own society, these larger-than-life icons, these giants of history, that are, just to say, above the norm. That they're put miles above what you and I could achieve in the propaganda. Which
2: is sort of a misrepresentation of the issue, because they aren't strictly above the norm, They just have certain traits that are idealized that aren't really part of the norm. People would like to aspire to those, but it isn't really normal in that sense.
3: And I think that kind of does speak, again, to authority trying to reshape our values in in a culture and the way we see norms and the way we label people.
1: I would like to take this subject and force it into the direction of this shows normality, and, <laughs> and sort of asks the question of, how does normality relate to capitalism?
2: On the very face of it, capitalism, at least in its current form, requires everyone to acknowledge the same currencies and the validity of them. For example, the U.S. dollar, if is literally worth the paper it's printed on, if someone's not willing to take U.S. dollars in payment. It only has its value because someone is willing to recognize that the numbers written on the paper represent something abstract, and it works because virtually all of society agrees to consider those valuable. And on a deeper psychological value, people look
3: at currency and they they value it. That's considered normal to think that money has... An inherent value, because if people didn't value money, they wouldn't work within the system at all.
0: The fondness for money has become very abstract. I mean, paper money is actually a relatively recent invention. Traditionally, I mean, w- when money was a was a young invention, still trying to grasp at credibility, it, it had to be minted out of a precious metal, something that was inherently valuable. It basically, when they first
3: started making dollars, they had to be backed by the gold standard.
2: Which no longer exists. Money had to be something that was inherently scarce and desirable because it was still essentially a module attached to the barter system. So you would have a durable trade good that never wears out.
3: Or it basically doesn't dim- diminish in
2: value. It's still short spread. of more of it being more of the resource being found, but it's still spread out so far, and at that time trade only between long distances only had happened in large chunks, basically the dollar is
3: just more efficient than carrying gold on you. it just works that way, and that's it's a lot kind lighter of, it is that's kind of why they called them banknotes because it's basically just issued from the bank that they're holding your gold for you.
1: Well, the reason the reason I brought up capitalism is because I, I was thinking about what everybody was saying about di- diverging from the norm and all all, all of this uh, about because we were talking about like the M- Mardi Gras and, you know, spring break or what, whatever those things are considered sort of deviant. 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 Thank you. Edit this out. The deviant. We were talking about the deviant behavior and what is and what is considered sort of like acceptable and natural and what isn't. And it seems like like something like something like going out and getting drunk, things like that, or or even even things like, you know, being criminal and breaking the law or and things like that. I mean, it, it is considered like what we were talking about venting. It's considered natural. Even if it is diverging from the proper norm of what of what is considered good, it is it's, still, it, it's still technically a, typical. It is still a natural human behavior, yeah. as as opposed to if you start coming out and, and holding the political position of of saying, "I believe that that our entire economic and social structure, how the whole entire planet is run, should be completely and utterly changed." Well then. That's not human. Having these capitalistic, competitive natures, that's human. You're asking people to not be human beings.
2: Well, to a certain degree, humans are also collective creatures. So, it's just what portions of human nature the culture and society are acknowledging. For example, you were talking about things that are viewed as not being normal by the culture, when if you just measured, when you just measured it and the frequency of it, those would be things that are quite ordinary and engaged in by a large segment of the population. But because the culture frowns upon them, people generally don't express that, and it gets sort of a an impression of it being abnormal. Now, I wanted to go back to what we were talking
3: about. You were talking about the stigmas that are associated to doing things outside of what are perceived as the norm, or being abnormal. And you were talking within the context of a sort of totalitarian society. We do kind of live in a society that still enforces norms, but people see that sort of enforcement, and they see that they have what a lot of times they consider to be minor deviations from what are normality, and they sort of make uh, exceptions for themselves, and say, well, I may dress different, or I may do this different and that's just that's just a quirk of me. you know, I'm not outside of the norm to an extent that it's really significant. Yeah.
2: because a lot of people when regarding individuals will acknowledge individual variation, but then when it suddenly they're posed with a group that all has the same particular variation, they see that as something other than just ordinary variation and as some sort of endemic, trait of the group as inherently. You know, if the group is defined as people who have this trait, then it is. But otherwise, it frequently is just something that happens to correlate with it, or that they perceive as correlating with it, even if it doesn't.
0: So you're sort of saying, let's make up a hypothetical example here. You're saying maybe a man is a cross-dresser, he's a transvestite, and he says, well, you know, I'm still married... I have kids, I go to church on Sunday, I go to work on Monday morning and I pay my taxes, I'm still a normal guy. Is that sort of what you're talking
3: about? Yes, basically.
0: Now, he thinks that it's a minor
3: deviation, he's still normal, he's still you know, a regular person. Because but he so doesn't
2: define his personality in terms of that, whereas right. someone else would be likely to. They would look
3: at him and judge him as being abnormal because... They see the characteristics. Because, but because is different.
1: Because suddenly that that one small divergence becomes. Oh my God! Yeah, you're a right. freak.
2: It's basically they're similar, 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 different, similar, similar, similar. People focus on the different because it stands out.
0: Is there a hierarchy of deviations to normalcy? Well, I think there
3: certainly is, both on the personal and the social sense. Uh, certain deviations are more acceptable than others. You may look at a person funny because they're a cross-dresser. Uh, socially, there's positive and negatives. If someone's a murderer, they're going to be looked at very poorly. Or even something that may not be socially socially detrimental can still be looked at as in harshly stigmatized. So even if it's
2: not necessarily a hierarchy, there's sort of a scale of what divergences from the norm are considerably negative or positive or not really a big deal in people's perceptions.
3: Now, that may be treated differently from individual to individual. Say, one person may think that you should put people to death for being murderers or being homosexuals. Other people are going to say that, that's, that being gay or whatever your trait is is acceptable trait. I mean, people have a, a very vastly different perception of normality, and a lot of that goes back to what sets of ideals they have, and perspectively what sort of authorities they appeal to. Because there are authorities trying to set a lot of these standards.
0: I would say one point that had sort of come to mind a little, er- actually much earlier now, but I think it's maybe worth going back to at a lull a- like this. It's one thing to sort of deviate to an extent that you're different, you're in a, you know, this sort of rigidly Protestant Christian society that we live in, you're not supposed to be gay. There are people who are gay out there, and there's a lot of people out there that will tolerate you for being gay, but you start to throw a tantrum if you want to throw a gay pride parade downtown. I I don't care what you do in your bedroom, but I don't want to see it on Main Street. There seems to be a much greater sense of hostility toward those who uh, allow themselves to be seen as different, not just being different.
3: I would say there's... People perceive it as a huge threat. And kind of what Mal was saying with the groups that exist, they don't want to see them. They don't want their concepts of normality and acceptance challenged.
2: They'll accept that it's out there. They just don't want to personally be confronted with it because it's outside of their comfort zone.
1: That kind of reminded me of the whole thing with, about broke that Mountain, where... You know, there there were there were a lot of critics uh, vocally voiced their discomfort with the movie because I, I haven't seen it, so I've, I have no idea. But but they they were talking about like I have no problem with gay people, but I don't want to sit through a movie about them or you know things like that. Which kind of
2: is a side topic that's probably for better for a different show, but just to identify it that. Part of the reason they establish norms just kind of naturally is because they can develop a number of typical situations, sort of, in their mind. So they have pre-established responses that they've tested and they know work in those situations. But when they're presented with something totally alien to their pre-established criteria, then they are suddenly up a creek without a paddle, so to speak, because they have no idea what their correct response in this sort of of situation is. And in some cases, they've gotten so dependent on being able to use their pre-developed strategies that when they find themselves in a situation where those don't work, they just shut down and can't figure out what they should do. Now, a lot of
3: authorities do give people ideas of what to do when they're challenged by people who are outside the norm they may react with violence or hostility and there is that sort of blame on people who don't conform to the norm
2: an idea that if
3: you don't conform it's your fault because you're
2: you're presenting the situation that stresses out the person who finds that situation alien right. in a sense by being different you're seen as causing a problem Th- they perceive it as being confronted with the difference and rather d- than it just happening upon it
0: yeah, I, I know we've we've kind of dealt with homosexuality quite a bit in the show, probably a little too much since that's not the focus of the show but I do want to go back to it one more time as an example, Derek Jarman I think does films and maybe plays he, he's updated some Shakespeare with some sort of gay twists to it kind of an interesting guy. I don't know a lot about him, but he's got a quote that I have on a button that says that heterosexuality is not normal, just common. I mean, we say that a lot of the the czars of normality are kind of conflating the idea of being normal with just what's typical.
2: I would say that normal is based on a cultural perception of what's typical, possibly minus what's typical but they don't approve of. It's based in an idea of what they define as normal is based on what they see as typical. Though it's based on their perception of typical, which isn't necessarily accurate. And frequently they'll just go with the largest monolithic group in that regard, rather than recognizing that in some cases what's typical is that it is varied. Would you say
0: that normality is used as a synonym for common or typical?
2: A lot of people do use it as a synonym and even define normal as what is most common. And what but I would kind of disagree on. Now it. is there
0: is there a problem with doing that semantically or philosophically? I'd say it could
2: certainly lead to problems where, because normal is as I said The way I see it is it's based on a perception of what's typical and thus is prone to all of the sorts of cognitive biases people have in recognizing patterns and things where there might be a situation where the largest monolithic group regarding a particular trait is only 20% of the population. If that group and a couple of them somewhat similar to it superficially make up close to 40%, and all of the other ones are widely varied, they'll perceive the 20% group as the norm, even though it's actually a small minority of the total population.
3: And I think there's a big problem here, the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. When you see the world, and you see how people act, and you expect that that defines them as a person, you don't take into consideration that people show their identity in the way that they feel will work best or often be most accepted. There's a lot of issues on how and why people act the way they are, and if you just take that as normal as being the way people naturally are, you have false and artificial standards.
2: There's an established human tendency to attribute people's behavior almost entirely on dispositional factors, basically who they are, what they're like, what kind of person they are, and to underestimate or completely disregard situational factors, because they might see it as this particular group of people acts in a particular way because of who they are, when actually anyone put in their same sort of situation would act the same way that doesn't occur to them because they only see that group oh, right. being and in that situation. You're, you're losing oh, sorry. So a big, me. A, a big example, example here I would give. Uh, an example I was thinking of that's more down to earth is people who are in significant poverty will behave in a different way, just sometimes as coping mechanisms for the poverty.
1: They'll commit crimes. And-
2: they'll, they'll behave in ways that people who aren't in poverty wouldn't behave, but... If, for example, there happens to be a correlation between a particular ethnic group and being in poverty in a particular area, for whatever reason, people will start attributing the behaviors that are actually poverty-related to that group because that's the only group that they see in poverty in their close situation.
0: In other words, if we're saying that people in ghettos are desperate enough that they commit crimes in higher quantities and the ghettos are overwhelmingly black... We start to make assumptions that black people are criminals. Exactly. Those, would say, goes into the large category of uh, normalization
3: and creating stereotypes. A regular white male heterosexual is this way, a gay person is this way, uh, a black person behaves this way, creating these character types.
1: That is an interesting connection between the economical structure and the stereotypes that come about. Would all of these things that you're talking about right now at this moment is this evidence that there is a connection between the two? Since
2: it's based on perception, it tends to be fall victim to all some, of it. Because some,
1: some, some like uh, you know, a pro pro capitalist. Uh, well, most of them. I mean, they would say like, well, you know, racism would still exist no matter what, even even if we had a completely different system.
2: Well, to a certain extent, that might be true, though probably for different reasons. Just because people tend to look for patterns and associations, even when there isn't necessarily one, it's just a coincidental impression on their part that they think most of the people in their local ghetto are African-American, when that actually isn't the case, they just only notice That, because they're trying to look for some sort of correlation or causal factors, they'll tend to see patterns just because they're looking for patterns, so they see what might be a coincidental correlation in a small, unrepresentative sample and form a conclusion based on that, and then they continue to test that conclusion and reinforce their misinterpretation.
0: Got kind of an interesting example. I can't... Put a date on it, but it was a video I was watching on YouTube earlier this morning. This reporter or talking head of some fa- fashion for Fox News was caught on his radio show blaming hip hop culture for a school shooting in a predominantly black alternative school in some inner city somewhere. And it turned out statistically that even though the school was 85% black and he had thus assumed the shooter was black, the shooter was in fact a white kid. And interesting, as far as statistics are concerned, every goddamn school shooter is a white kid, a white male. Every single one of them has been that way. And there's been some interesting psychological analysis put forward as to why that could be the case. And I don't know it very well, so we certainly won't go into it. I mean, what does that say about the culture when a very real and very obvious statistical pattern that, for instance, all school shooters are, in fact, white kids in this country. But if it happens in a predominantly black school, the columnists still want to jump on
1: hip-hop culture and blame black, black well, people for their... hip-hop p- clearly corrupted the white kid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's a good example of people mistakenly finding patterns where there isn't one necessarily. Because if the popular music at that school... Or in the area where that school was was heavy metal, it would have been blamed on that.
1: If it was, or Marilyn Mansion with Columbine, yeah, exactly. exactly. It, example
2: psychological term for it is the Texas Sharpshooter fallacy, which comes from sort of a description of it where the person fires a bunch of shots into a barn door and then draws a circle around the tightest cluster of them and calls that the target. It basically is describing when someone observes and analyzes the data before they form their hypothesis, which makes it completely impossible to scientifically judge whether or not the hypothesis is valid or not.
0: Andrew, did you have a different take on the school shooter example? It seemed like you might have had something to say about that. Or bombings, where they blame it on
3: uh, Islamic terrorists. There's a lot of that sort of attribute it to. Really, I think people attribute these things to what is closest to their mind.
1: You can't connect, a to,
3: sort of bias that you can't
1: connect it to the back to the discussion we were having in, in that this person is a suicide bomber and they are Muslim. Therefore, they did this because of their Muslim beliefs.
2: And the term for that sort of thing that both of you were talking about, I believe, is misleading vividness. Where, for example, if a particular case that's really, really blatant Takes place. People will tend to assume that all of the factors in it are necessarily related, even if it's just coincidence.
3: And they'll basically oversimplify it to make causal relationships. This and then this. when they
2: when they think about similar situations, all of the facets of that one, because it's so vivid in their memory, will come to mind, even the ones that aren't related.
1: You see on the news every time there's an accident or some some sort of disaster, the first thing that comes up is is whether or not it may or may not be terrorism.
3: And I think this is important, the media's aspect of expressing authority. When you only see a black person on television, they're committing a crime, what does that do to reinforce stereotypes and the normalcy of black
0: people being criminals? It's interesting to see. I mean, you know, the example of drugs, for instance. You know, whenever there's a drug arrest that gets televised... It's a black guy in the ghetto, and the overwhelming majority of people who are doing drugs are white kids in the suburbs. It's sort—it's of, a financial thing.
2: And then, to a certain extent, there's uh, the vicious cycle of, because people associate drug dealing with low-income areas with largely black populations, they'll be watching for it there when they aren't watching for it in suburbs full of white people so they'll only see the instances that reinforce their impression and not the ones that are more common that they aren't looking for
1: they notice it in the suburbs when the meth lab explodes of course the flip side too
0: is that after drunken bender or a a drug binge in the suburbs these kids all crash out and in the morning the maid cleans up all the evidence too and i think you can see it
3: evidence of this in the middle east when you see people that have sort of an arabic descent you see them on television when there's crimes or war going on and you see these people sort of get the perception that all of them are terrorists because that's all you see on
0: television
2: because farmers in a middle eastern country doing the same thing they do every day isn't news so it doesn't show up
0: Well, we're running out of time here, so is there a silver lining to this dark cloud we've been going over? Happy ending? No. (laughs) (laughs) Second opinion. 30 seconds. I'd say
2: there's sort of a silver lining in that it's really based on perception, and thus it's not too terribly difficult to change it. At least over the course of generations, it can be corrected... Do for we, individuals, it might be too
1: well ingrained. Do we have generations? That's another that's a question. Good question. But
2: that's, that's another
0: question for another show. Yes,
1: I'm going to drag this into the deep darkness, no matter what. Plus, so. well,
3: if there, we're going to do three episodes, there get,
2: there is also the fact that, to a certain extent, everyone is normal if you choose to base that on particular traits, such as everyone that is a human is a human common traits that are universal still, and if you can at least guide the perceptions to be based on that, then you get that sense of unity building up. Or even furthermore,
3: every life form on this planet that we know of has DNA. We're all basically related on the entire planet.
0: And on that cheerful note, I'm going to have to cut you all off. For Monty, Andrew, and Mal, I'm Jackson Meredith. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Goodbye.